Hello to my listeners. This is Pursuing Justice on Society Bites Radio. I'm Harriet Handel. Our theme this month has been women who are incarcerated and also pregnant. We haven't delved into a topic like this before, although we did hear Christine Bunch a while back who was pregnant upon entering prison in Indiana. She was found innocent of charges of arson, but she served 17 long years. Her baby was raised by her mom. The last time on Pursuing Justice, we met Amy Ard, founder and director of Motherhood Beyond Bars. Today, we are pleased to have Vanessa Garrett with us. She is the program director of this nonprofit organization, which is located in Atlanta, Georgia. She has a unique and very personal story to share with us. It's good to have you with us, Vanessa. Welcome. Thank you for having me. It's great to be here. (laughs) You're very welcome. So you've been out of prison for just about a year and a half. Take us back to the beginning of your story. Um, You know, I I was a mother of one at the time. And I was just doing everything I could to, to be that single parent to my son and, you know, past childhood traumas and relived experiences. I ended up in a very bad situation and, you know, committed a crime. I found myself in jail. And upon when I got out of jail, you know, met with a lawyer who told me I had nothing to worry about. I'll probably get a, some probation, a slap on the wrist. And I went about living my best life. Um, I ended up having another baby and, you know, ultimately getting sentenced to do a 12 year sentence. So I was pregnant and the judge said, don't worry, go have your baby. We'll meet back after you have given birth. Um, Gave birth and about a year later, I was seen and in court and sentenced And the judge let me stay home while I got my financial affairs and everything in effect, everything in order. And then I reported to to the county jail right before they sent me to prison. Um, You know, at that time, I seen a lady who was very sad all the time. And I was, you know, new environment, never been in trouble before. Um, Was very scared to even question her about why she was always sad. And there was a friend there. Um, or someone who I had met there who I considered, you know, friendly. And I said, why is that lady so sad? Oh, she's just crying. Don't worry about her. Um, You know, she's thinking about her kids, nothing, nothing to be worried about. And as a mother, I miss my children and I was sad. Maybe I didn't display it outwardly like she did. And I went to go talk to her and just see if I could offer some help. And, you know, she was in fact sad and because she missed her children and, specifically her most recent child. And, you know, I was telling her, yeah, my, I watched my baby walk on the county jail kiosk, you know, like as soon as I got to the county jail ready to report to prison, she decided to say mama, you know, so it's like, I missed like all the, the really good milestones in just that six week period. And, you know, I said, well, how old is your baby? And she said 10 days old. Oh, and I was like, wow. Like, so in my mind, you have your baby at home and then you go to county and they send you to prison. So I was like, wow, they sent you to prison fast because usually 
it takes like six weeks, you know, from county to go to prison. She said, no, I had my baby in prison. What? (laughs) You had your baby in prison? Like pregnant people go to prison? Like that just seemed the furthest thing from my mind. Like everybody has a mother who would want to send their their pregnant mom to prison. So I never had any understanding of that. And um, I befriended her. I found out it was her second time in. And, you know, she hadn't had any pictures of the baby this time. So, you know, I guess I'm Captain Save the World. I don't know what you want to call it. I call my mom on the phone. You have to go on Facebook. You have to find this person. And if you see a baby that looks like this, print out those pictures and and mail it to this mom. She has my address. Here's her GDC number. So my mom is like doing this. And as my mom does this, I'm finding more people that don't have this support. And I'm, you know, just asking my mom to do it. And she finally, I want to say like four or five years in, she says, I can't do this anymore. And I'm like, what? (laughs) She says, I can't, I can't do this anymore. I don't have time. Like, what do you mean you don't have time? She's like, I'm working a full-time job. I'm taking care of your two children. We're doing dance and piano recital and basketball and all these groups. And she's like, I just can't do it. And I, I didn't, like, I just felt so helpless. But, you know, my mom had a big heart for so many years. She just you know, she was getting older. She just couldn't do it and keep up with my growing kids at the same time. And right about that same time, the girl I had met stopped hearing from the caregiver. Um, At some point they got on okay terms and she stopped hearing from the caregiver and found out that her parental rights were terminated. Um, So she no longer was the legal mother to her two children right before she was getting out and I saw such a rapid decline in her morale and her self-esteem and you know to give you a little insight on her and I relationship she was the one who was like this is a good class to take you know your mom has your children right now but this will be good to show to the courts when you're getting ready to get your children back and here's this class to take. It's really uplifting and motivating and they help you do these things. So she was the one who was always like pointing me like the, the newbie, so to speak in the right direction and, and how to get certain things under my belt and get um, parole incentive credits so I could come home early. You know, she was one who really showed me the ropes. And when I tell you um, her enthusiasm, her encouragement, everything just plummeted. I was really afraid for her. And I promised her, please don't forget about me, please you know, check in with me from time to time so I know you're okay. Because when I get out, I'm going to make a difference. I'm going to make sure that moms are in contact with their children, that that moms have that reunification. Like, please stay in contact with me. And I could tell, I could tell at that point that I would not hear from her again. And I have not heard from her again. I had another four years to do before I got out, and I have not been able to find her. Not mm. on Facebook, not on Twitter, not on social media. I've, I have no idea what has happened to her. It's hard to believe that you can't find her because it is so much easier with social media. Yeah, you know they make things so simple, but I don't know. I don't know what happened left if she changed her name. Yeah. Right, right. Yeah, I, I've tried to right. find her. Now, how how does that happen that a mother's uh, rights are terminated and that 
children are no longer hers. So I, I, I don't know how it happens then. Like this was all new to me. So I don't know Mm -hmm. if this was a process and something has changed. I don't know, but I know now, um, I know now in the, in Georgia that a mother has to be present at, at a hearing that would terminate her parental rights. But the issue comes up with the facility actually getting the mom present. So the court will send the facility a legal notice and it is that facility's responsibility to make sure that the mother is present. Um, We have mothers in our program who have no idea of, of hearings. We had a mom just in March uh, who had a, a transfer of custody of her child. She had no idea it was happening. It just so happened that the caregiver was upset that they were transferring custody to another family and contacted us. And I had contacted the mother. Um, she's at a transitional center, so she had access to a cell phone. She had no idea. So we were then able to work through the chain of command to get the mom to the hearing virtually late, but still present. So her input could be heard and and taken into consideration. But this is a story that many mothers face, that there's no one outside for them to call. There's no one outside to advocate for them. You know, there's, there's no one to help with that reunification plan and making sure that they actually are present at these hearings. There's a thing called a, a parenting plan and a reunification plan, and that's by, given by the state, the Department of Family and Children's Services, make every mother, before she regains custody of her children, work a parenting and reunification plan. But inside prison, there's no facilitator. So if, um, let's say, uh, Department of Family Children's Services says you have to take a parenting class and you have previous addiction, so we want you to take NAAA. Uh, we also want to make sure that you communicate with your children three times a week, so make sure you write them letters. There's no one to get that information to the mother inside. So let's say we have a mom who just wants to do better for herself, who is taking parenting classes, who is doing AANA, who is writing her children three times a week and making them cards and drawing them things. There's no one to take that information that the mother's doing and then transfer it to Department and Children of Family Services. So the the defects is what we call it, looks at it as the mother's not participating in a plan when in actually a mother is participating in a plan. There's just no one in the middle to, to make it known. So we try to advocate for the mothers and be that middleman. We find out what you're doing, where your plan is. We relay that information and just try to get the case notes and the cases updated. So that way, when it does go before a judge, there, there is some documentation of what the mother is doing to, to process or to complete her parenting and her reunification plan. So are, are you saying that motherhood beyond bars be, almost becomes the middleman to, to help facilitate what you just finished explaining to us? Yes. We ultimately are the middleman and, and there's probably five other middlemen, but because the mother is in prison, in order to communicate with the mother in prison, you have to pay. You either have to pay $2 and 60 cents a phone call, or you have to pay 70 cents for an email. There's not a lot of 
organizations that are going to pay for those communications. You know, they don't make it very easy to contact the mother. Um, you can send the mail in. If I send letters in on a Monday, I know that mom is not going to have it until the following week, Thursday or Friday. You mean a snail so mail even, letter, right? Yes, a snail mail letter with a stamp. <laughs> you with know, an stamp. actual stamp. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> right. But um, yeah, I, I understand. They don't make things simple, easy, no. or fast at all. No, they don't. So you've told us the beginning of your story, but what was it like as you re entered society? How how challenging was it? What was <clears throat> what was the most difficult part about re entering after what how you did what nine nine years? I I did eight years. Eight years out of the 12-year sentence. Yes. Right. Yes. So I was able, um, I was eligible for, um, I did receive parole incentive credit, so I was eligible for an earlier release. So I did eight years in two days. Um, I didn't have to do my entire 12 years. Um, the most difficult thing about reentering society, I could say, is the lack of support. Um, when I reentered, it was in the midst of covid um, there were a lot of women in our facility that had COVID, and I had my elderly parents and my young children to consider. Um, they don't do testing how they say they do testing. So there was no way for me to know that I was coming home safe. So I had planned to go to my friend's house, and um, right at that time, she had gotten really sick. It was her and her household. Um, they had all gotten sick and it was no longer safe for me to go there. And I went to our superintendent and told her, I really don't have anywhere to go. Is there any way you guys can help me? And with a smile on her face and a pat on my back, she said, you'll be fine. Oh, so, yeah, essentially, I left there with no real plan. Um, I had been there for three and a half years. I was allowed to work for six months. So my presence there was because of good behavior, but it shortened my ability to be able to save money. Um, while I was there, I did work on my credit, um, which is something that they really don't promote you to do. They don't facilitate that. I did find out what was on my credit. I disputed things. I had a credit card that was sent to my parents' house, um, I made a $25 charge on it every month and my parents paid it. And that was just to establish my credit just right. to, Smart. so I had a fighting chance when I got out. And because I did that, um, you know, I was actually able to secure housing three to four weeks after I got out. Initially I stayed at an Airbnb for two weeks, um, mm -hmm. which was very difficult, but there was a local organization I was part of that helped facilitate that. Um, and I got on my feet. I went to my first parole visit, which was crazy to me. They wanted me to pay $1,000 a month in fines and restitution. And, you know, I looked at the parole officer and I said, like, not to be funny, like, how long have you been doing this? And he said, oh, about 18 years. I said, okay. And, you know, he had some medals and stuff on the on the wall. And I said, and you did time in the service? And he said, yeah. I said, if someone just out of the blue said, here's a bill, $1,000, pay it every month, would you be able to do it? And he said, well, no. And he looked at me like, of course not. Are you crazy? And I looked at him and I said, if you couldn't do it and I am two days being released, how can you honestly expect me to be able to do it? And he said, okay, 
I see your point. Yeah, like I had to literally paint that picture. And when he asked for the $1,000, it just seemed like it's okay. Anybody can do it. And he was able to work out a different arrangement for me that was affordable, um, not something that they encourage or they want. But I mean, I told him, like, I've only been out two days. I got to see half of my family take me back because I cannot pay this. I'd rather you take me back before I get used to the freedom. <laughs> like, you and know. What did he say? Um, he said he, he wasn't going to take me back. He said that he was going to, to work out the plan. So he did work out. He did go to his supervisor and they worked it out to where my plan was reduced. My monthly payment was significantly reduced to oh, something right. that was reasonable and affordable. Manageable. Right, right. Yeah, exactly. Um, I just want to uh, tell our listeners, if you've just joined us, um, we're speaking to Vanessa Garrett, of Motherhood Beyond Bars, an organization in Georgia on Society Bites Radio, and this is Pursuing Justice. All right, so now I want to ask you, um, how did you become involved with this wonderful organization, Motherhood Beyond Bars? So my promise to my friend of making sure I, when I got out, I did something different um, while I was inside, I created a business plan. Um, yeah, a lot of people say I see rainbows and unicorns because I was going to have this home um, where all women came to. If they had a baby, um, they would come to my home and they would take parenting classes and get the help that they need and get on their feet. And we would put a down payment on an apartment and help them get a job. And it would be like a step process. You would come here, get your life together, get on your feet, get a job, save money, and then go out and we'll help with making the deposit on your, on your apartment of your choice. And everyone Very said, Oh, that could... <laughs> yeah, like, that'll never happen. Like, <laughs> where are you going to get, where are you going to get funding for that? And it's like, ah, funding. Okay. If I'm a nonprofit, maybe I could write for grants. Maybe I can get donations. You know, maybe I could have fundraisers. So I'm going through all these different avenues and um, I have everything written out. And I go to my friend and I tell her, listen, I'm tired of working where I'm working. I had three jobs um, just because I, I felt like I needed to do something and nothing was fulfilling. And I was still in communication with some people on the inside. And I told her, listen. I, I need to do something with this. I need two more people for my board of directors. I figured I, if I asked you, maybe you can bring a friend. And, you know, she sat down and she looked it over with me and she said, I want you to meet, um, I want you to meet Amy Ard. And I said, she'll be on my board. She said, no, I want you to work for her. Like, whoa, oh. wait a minute. <laughs> I just told you I didn't want to work with anybody. I told you I wanted my own thing. Um, now you're introducing me to like, you're not hearing what I'm saying. And she said, do you trust me? And I said, yeah. She's like, then trust me. Just give me two weeks. So two weeks turned into about four. And she said, listen, I need you to, to meet Amy. And I'm like, all right, but like, I've already told you what my plan is. And, and she says, just trust me. So I met Amy, um, virtually over zoom and got to hear about her passion how she got involved with some things and I started doing research on her organization and come to find out a lot of the people that I was inside with had had dealt with Amy Amy was going in to the prison she was going in to do their 
prenatal support group and their postpartum group. So a lot of the women who I ended up friending while I was in there, because I would, oh, they called them quote unquote baby mamas. So whenever I found out about a baby mama, I was the one that was like, are you okay? Do you need anything? What can I do? And they all had spoken about Amy. And it was like, oh my God, I've heard so much about you. The whole reason that I want to do what I want to do is based upon what you were doing, you know, I just want to offer more and I want to have a home and I want to do this. And she looked at me like rainbows and unicorns (laughs) (laughs) one step at a time. (laughs) And, um, you know, we had a meeting on our back porch and originally it was going to be a two week start time. And next thing I know, we met on her back porch on a Saturday and I started that Monday and it has been amazing. Amy Art is amazing. Her passion, her drive, her commitment. Um, I see I see a lot of me in her and I see a lot of, of her that I want in me. You know, like we share so much and I just love the opportunity to be able to bring the passion and the commitment of making sure these women are reunified with their their children, making sure that they're getting pictures and they're getting constant emails and they're getting letters and, and videos and facilitating video visits. So it's so much of my dream is here. And, and I love it. What, what exactly though is now that we know how you became involved, what's your role? Can you kind of describe your job at the organization? Yes. So there is no typical day. Um, I wake up on any given day. I have a plan of what I'm going to do. And five minutes after I finish brushing my teeth, that whole plan is like down the drain. Um, But ultimately, um, I am the program director. So I oversee the many programs that we have. The caregiver support program. So making sure that our caregivers get diapers and wipes every month. Um, Formula as needed as we have it, clothes, school supplies, things like that. So I oversee that program to make sure it's going well. Our research program, we have, we are partnered with Harvard School of Public Health and we do conduct research with our caregivers every three months to track the changes within the family dynamics and the separation the effects of the separation from the infant, from the mom, um, you know, what type, are there developmental delays? Um, are the, is the family still intact? Is the family still whole? What's making them tear apart? Um, what we have seen is usually about three to six months prior to release, um, things start to decline. So the moms with the shorter sentences, we're seeing like three weeks before the mom's release, the family dynamics, the relationships start to decline. And we believe a lot of it is because of um, the anxiety and the expectation um, behind behind moms coming out. Like, is she going to come take the baby? Like the families Mm -hmm. haven't really had that conversation of what the next move is. So what we do is as we see a mom's getting ready to come out, like we constantly remind them open communication. Um, What's going to happen when you get out? You need to speak to the caregiver about this. And we tell the caregiver, you need to speak to the mom about this. Uh, We do have, yes, is key. We do have our reentry. 
our reentry and our reunification program. So we give moms tips like when you speak to the baby or when you send home videos, make sure you do a little song, the same song every time. Because what we noticed is the baby might not recognize the mom because of lack of in-person visits. But when the mom starts singing that same song again, the baby realizes, I know that song. I know the person singing that song and it helps with the reunification process. And we also help making sure that pictures go in, pictures come out, videos go in, videos go out. And the overall housing, some of our moms do um, come from an addiction past and going to another facility to recover from those addictions is best for the family. If we notice that a mom is from one city, has seven charges in that city, has a family that's in addiction, and she plans to parole to the same city with that same family, that's not in the best interest of her or her future. So we intervene in that way as well. All right. We are out of time, Vanessa, but you said you would come back and tell us some more. So I hope you will. And um, I'm Delighted to have you with us today. Uh, please, uh, listeners, tune in to the very beginning of this series with Amy Ard and Vanessa's uh, podcast today. We'll see you next time on Pursuing Justice. Thanks for listening to my podcast today. You have been listening to Pursuing Justice on Society Bites Radio. And I'm your host, Harriet.